Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. All right, so we got a uh, special guest. Got referred in through Harley from uh, from Shopify, David Seagal. Seagal or Seagal? How do you say it? Seagal, but Seagal sounds Seagal. a lot cooler, so. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, related to one and only. Actually, the guy who started the company with you, is that a relative of yours? He also has the same last name. Yeah, he's a, a distant cousin of mine. He's 50 years my senior. That's the great like starting pitch. It's like me and my 90-year-old cousin yeah. are going to start a tea company. Yeah, totally. <laughs> So, uh, so give people like, I don't know, explain what is David's Tees uh, so for somebody who's never heard of it before, has never been inside one. Sure. So, uh, I mean, you think about tea. So we started it in 2007. And if you go back to that time, you either bought it in a grocery store where it was a commodity, right? You picked what you wanted based on the picture on the box and the price point. And you had the usual suspects, Earl Grey, Chamomile, Mint. And then you had 10 brands of Earl Grey and, and 10 brands of Mint, et cetera. Or you somehow found a tea shop that was either very Asian or very British and quiet, and you felt like you had to whisper. And even just to walk in the store, you felt like you had to know something about tea. We had the idea because nobody was really doing tea in a fun way on the main streets of the country. And tea was, had this stodgy vibe to it. And really, there was an opportunity to make it a lot younger. And when you think about tea, it's, it's actually a specific plant. It's the Camellia sinensis plant, but how you process it makes it different. But in North America, we call any herb, spice, fruit that you put in hot or cold water that's not coffee, we call it tea. tea right. uh, yeah, so I had the idea. I turned to my now 90-year-old cousin and said, we and should- why oh, you- that- So you're not joking? No. I thought the 90-year-old <laughs> thing was a-, was a your- Like hyperbole. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he's 90 now. He wasn't 90 then, right? He was in his 70s then. Uh, I was a young entrepreneur. I had been a hustler, you know, most of my life. Uh, I'd had different businesses that didn't work, some that did to some degree, and then came across this idea. I was actually working for him at the time uh, to help him make investments in small companies. Had this idea for T, turned to him. We looked at a few to invest in, realized the market was pretty wide open. He said, you do it, uh, and I'll back you. And I was like, great. Uh, we got so, to work and built a brand, grew it. And anyway, at its height, it was a billion-dollar market cap on the NASDAQ, 200 million sales. I sold my stake in 2016. I moved on and have been doing other things. I started a, a restaurant brand and have added two other restaurant brands and turned it into a virtual kitchen. And I'm looking to get back into tea, to be honest with you. I think there's still a huge opportunity in tea, but yeah. So your cousin who you started, he had done something cool before this, right? Like some yeah, he had, something like that? No, clothing business. So we had a company called Le Chateau, which uh, was at one time very big in Canada and even had a, a go at the U.S. market as well. He started in 1959. He was selling in the 60s to like John Lennon and like there was some pretty interesting characters. And, and what he did was he brought the Carnaby Street look in the 60s to Montreal. And it was really successful. And, and he stepped back from it in the mid-2000s and was looking to make these investments. And yeah, I mean, it was a great combination of you know, at the time I was 26 years old and, and full of piss and vinegar, and I still am. 
I've never heard that phrase. What does that phrase mean? Just like I, know, I guess I guess piss and vinegar is like an explosive combination. I don't know. It's a good question. I never actually thought about what it meant. It's just one of these things you hear and you're like, all right. Did this make you incredibly wealthy? Yeah, I did well. Great. I, I well, scored. Yeah. Oh, great. So what I was gonna ask you, and I think you just answered it. Do you regret taking the company public? Because taking the company public seems pretty besides like all right, so you generated you created a lot of wealth for yourself. That's awesome besides that which is like a huge besides but besides that do you regret it i don't regret it but i wouldn't do it again i think i was in a very difficult situation at the time we had done a deal so my first million actually came when we did a deal with a private equity group and the business got complicated we, we did a deal with a group out of boston highland capital this guy named tom stenberg who's the founder of staples actually and my original partner my cousin and Tom, it was a difficult combination. My original partner wanted to bring in various family members. I wanted to run a meritocracy professional outfit, and there was a bit too much. It just wasn't a good situation. And when your management team and your board are fighting with each other, you're not focused on creating value for your customers. And I just want to get out of there. There are too many bullets flying. You could see there wasn't a lot of focus on the actual business. And so for me, it was great. And I was the third largest partner, third largest shareholder, but I didn't really have the power. The sort of piece was made in that they would go public for the private equity group to be able to exit. And the CEO at the time would get fired and, and the family member that my cousin, his daughter that he wanted back in the business would come back in. And then I was able to leave at that time as well and say, you know what? This is a bad combination and I'm out of here. And so you, because uh, I always wonder this, when you take a company public, you know, there's a lockup period, just like a technical yeah. lockup period. I don't know how it works on, uh, actually you're a NASDAQ. So there's like, what is it? Six months or something like that you can't sell? Six months. Although on this IPO, we were, I mean, we were making like $30 million of EBITDA. We didn't really need the money. And so right. on the IPO, to make the IPO big enough, we were selling shares. Like I gotcha. myself and Highland Capital sold shares. My original partner didn't want to sell any. And I was like, yeah, I'll sell. I mean, it was a great price. I ended up selling it at an average price of 14 bucks a share. And, you know, the stock today trades at dead four. How do you decide how much you're going to sell? Right? What's your psychology around that? Like, you're like, all right, am I going to sell 100%, 60%? And then there's the optics of it. So, like, how do you, do you think about that part? I think in this situation, I love tea. And I think there's a huge opportunity in tea. And I want to get back into tea. When management is fighting with each other, you want to get out. I mean, right. at the yeah. end of the day, you want to get out. Like the, the future of the business does not look bright in, in those types of situations. So under normal circumstances, I wouldn't have sold at all. I mean, I think there's an opportunity to just continue to grow. And, and you look at tea. I mean, it's one of the best hacks, productivity hacks that nobody knows about North America. It doesn't give you the jitters like coffee does. It doesn't give you the big spike and the crash. It's a better high, man. It just is. And you know, in North in Canada, I mean, it's less than two percent of Starbucks's sales. It's, we don't drink it, and we have these these. We're missing out, frankly. Uh, there's so many amazing flavors to it. So I, I still think there's a massive opportunity. It's just it wasn't going to happen with David's Tea. They took their eye off the ball, and and I didn't want to be part of a team that wasn't aligned. So what do you? I guess what are you scheming on now? Well, I got this restaurant concept. We have three stores in in Ottawa, which is where I live, and three in Toronto. We're going to open more. We added two brands to it during the pandemic. So we had this concept called Mad Radish. It's, it's bowls and salads with big international flavors. We added a burrito brand, which is a healthier take on a burrito. And then we added a Neapolitan pizza company. Uh, so Louisa's Burritos and Bowls and Revival Pizza. And we're operating them out of one space with one app. So we're trying to kind of combine the best elements of Ghost Kitchen with the best elements of a restaurant. So we're still building out restaurants with some seating, but we're dedicating more space to kitchen space. 
and we're taking perhaps slightly less prominent real estate and being able to service one customer with different types of cuisine. So you can, if you have three people, one of you can get an amazing burrito, another one can get a salad, another one can get a pizza all in one order. So I'm still doing that. And I have an incredible operator there and an amazing marketing lead and just a great team all around. And then I'm also actually working with Harley on a tea business. I think there's a massive opportunity to make tea cool. You know, David's tea made tea fun, but people don't understand how incredible this plant is and how many amazing ingredients there are. And so we're going to do it without any flavorings. So all tea companies use lab flavorings. So they call it either natural or artificial flavoring. And they just basically develop a liquid flavoring that they splash on and it coats the tea or the ingredients. But you don't really need to do that. If you get really high quality, high oil content ginger or cinnamon from the best places in the world, like you can make these amazing blends. Not to mention all these varietals of tea that people just don't understand. I mean, what's the model this time? So last time it was brick and mortar stores, right? You opened up 100, 200 something locations yeah. and like Tivana, you would go in and you'd be able to buy teas there. Bingo. And I don't know how well that worked. Tivana got acquired by Starbucks. How much did they get bought for? 600 million. 600 million. And, uh, yeah. and I think they shut down their stores and now it's just sold out of Starbucks or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, Starbucks uh, didn't do great on that acquisition. Starbucks does a history of, of so-so acquisitions. And wh why is that? Because that seems like you like what you're saying is, dude, tea is massively you know underrated in compared to like America's heavy, heavy coffee. Tea gives you you know all of the spunk with none of the funk. This is the best. It's huge internationally. And then with Starbucks distribution, you would think, look, if tea was going to pick up in a bigger way, like Tivana getting plugged into the Starbucks engine sounds like a good idea. Why is that a so? Why was it so so as an outcome? I don't think the tea was that good. And I think that matters. I think that there's a market for people. Look, there's, it's like wine. There's three types of customers here, if I was to summarize it. There's the customer that just wants to get drunk, wants the high, right, and doesn't care. They're, they're picking it because it's cheap and because they like the picture on the bottle. Then there's the customer on the other end of the spectrum that is the connoisseur. They want to become a tea hobbyist. They want to be able to tell you about the terroir. And then there's everybody else, which frankly wants a really good wine or tea in this case. They want quality. They can tell when they taste it. They're like, wow, that's good. But they don't need a PhD in tea. And I think that there's an opportunity to simplify this. There's an opportunity to curate it better. You don't need 100 different blends. Like, we're going to have 20. And these are the 20, like, you know, look, I know my stuff. I've been doing this for a while. These are the 20 you want to drink. We've tasted thousands for you. You don't need to think about that. And I just think there's a way to talk about it in a language that people can understand. You know, tea is not just when you're sick or for hippies or, you know, because you romanticize travel or because you're an old granny who eats cucumber sandwiches. I mean, it's a better drug than coffee. I mean, you know, you think about one of the big themes in the world today is like centralized versus decentralized. Like coffee is centralized. It's centralized our culture in many ways. Like no matter what you do with coffee, it still tastes like coffee. Whereas tea, you can get all these different flavors. There's no dominant brand in tea today. It's in many ways a decentralized product. And I just think there's an opportunity in direct-to-consumer. You know, would I do some pop-up shops? Maybe. Would I do some really cool restaurant applications like an espresso-type store model? Maybe down the road. But we're going to start as a direct-to-consumer business and, and see if we can, you know, go after coffee drinkers and say, listen, you're missing out. Try this out. Like, coffee is like the PC and tea is like the Mac, and you should try this. So at your... It looks like uh, the biggest year in revenue you guys did was close to 300 million. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we were getting up there. 285, 284. And prior to this, you had a software company, right? Yeah. Didn't work. Uh, didn't work. I think it's a cool little funky concept. 
from what I read, you basically went to department stores and you said, I'll, I have software that will give you some data or analytics around what people are taking into the fitting room versus yeah. buying, right? They're like the tr they're getting to the try it out step, but they're not buying or they are buying. It's like uh, it, it's like abandoned cart software in real for, life. for real life. Yeah, abandoned fitting room. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it kind of I seems mean, like a good idea to be honest with you. What happened? There's a big difference between a good idea and a good business. You know, I kept hearing the word interesting. It's it's like, it's very academic. It's like <laughs> you know. Yeah, sure. When you buy clothing, you do it in two steps. You evaluate the look on the rack, then you evaluate the fit on your body. And then when the buyers go and analyze whether the item, you know, they test stuff and then order larger quantities. And when they go and analyze that, all they know is whether it's sold or not. They have very little insight as to why. And so the idea was to give them more insight into the why. And, but it was ahead of its time in the sense that it was complicated. Like these are companies, you know, this is 2005, right? Like they barely had functioning point of sale systems. So right. You go in and you're trying to give them information. They got to do something with it. I kept getting them saying to me, like, interesting, interesting. And I thought I was on to something. But, you know, the sales cycle keeps going. And all of a sudden, Sue from marketing wants to talk to Bob from IT, who wants to talk to Michael from purchasing. And, like, right. we got nowhere. We got it into Macy's, though. Like, you know, in those days, I was writing handwritten letters to every CEO and every clothing company you can think of, like, you know, getting Les Wexner, the founder of, of Limited Brands and Victoria's Secret to respond and stuff like that. But I get a lot of meetings and we even got it piloted at Macy's on 34th and 7th. But I realized quickly that it long, complex sales cycle, a nice to have product, not a need to have product. And I moved on. But my question is this. So you, you're friends with Harley. You probably uh, have invested in and have great insight into a lot of different style of businesses like software sure. and I just sold my company to a software company and I'm getting exposed to it for the first time. Your company, its revenue is definitely a little bit bumpier as opposed like versus a really good software company. It's like even if it might be grow slow, but it's kind of stable. But you're getting back into a I don't know what's the word consumer DC, uh, right right you you're doing e-commerce instead of software. It's kind yeah, of what you're trying to say. Why why are you doing why are you doing e-commerce when software exists? I'm a merchant, man. Like, I love the product. I like to put together great collections. I like to sell pro I like selling product. I just, and I'm not criticizing you, yeah. by the way. I'm not shitting on you. You're way more successful than I am, and you're badass. I'm just saying, like, a lot of my friends in this industry, they complain constantly about supply chain issues and about this and about that. And software has its own issues as well. But if you could do anything you want, I just want insight into why you chose this. Or why you're doing it again. I mean, the main reason why I'm doing it, I'm, to your point, like, like I, I don't need to do it. I mean, I could go play shuffleboard in Florida, but I love business and I love entrepreneurship. I love creating something from nothing. And I have a passion for tea. Like, I, like I'm drinking an amazing green tea right now, right before this podcast, you know? So I love the product first and foremost. It's also a great business. I mean, the margins are good. You're selling a product that does, that is a drug effectively. The biggest drug dealer in the world is actually Howard Schultz. It's a great business. There's no size, no color like there is on shoes or clothing. So the amount of items you're managing is much lower. You know, you can operate out of small spaces if you do decide to go into retail, although we are going to do this direct to consumer. I think there's space in the market. I think that this is a product that is un not well understood by the North American customer, and they're really missing out on something incredible here. I'm excited to bring it to people. I think it's just a lot of fun. Like, Software businesses are great, but uh, it's not what I love. I'm, I love it as a customer, but I don't want to go and create them. And I, I want to sell tea, man. I like tea. And you love tea like Sam loves trucks. There you go. You I know? talk about truck, the trucking business all the time, but... <laughs>
Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing. If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. I want to ask you another question as well. So uh, unless we post this video, you can't see, but your audio and visual setup is like really, really good. Is it a DSLR? Yeah. Yeah, it's a Sony. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like an A6, or what's it called? Like an A7? or an M something or other. It looks great. I tweeted yes. out the other day. I go, someone, I'm setting myself, my stuff up like this. I couldn't do it. Did you do it on your own? No. God, no. So I tweeted out, somebody come and let me pay you money and do this. <laughs> I can't find anyone. Like, there's no great turnkey solution just to come and do this for me. It's pretty amazing. There's a business right there, right? If you sold amazing suits in the 80s or 90s, you got all these business people buying your product. Nobody's buying suits right now, but I tell you, there's a lot of business people that want to buy a killer yeah. video and audio need, setups. They need ads. The ads will look great because it'll be someone in a room like yours with the camera quality of yours and all that. And it'll be like, you know, it's the men's warehouse guy saying, you're going to like the way you look. Yeah, I bingo. It, right? Uh, That's what I want. You know, you, it should be the same tagline, but for a Zoom call, basically. Totally. And, totally. Uh, and you get, you can get like, you know, the startup package, the pro, like, I mean, you'll have right. the $5,000 package, the $3,000 package, the 10000 I think that's an incredible business. Have you the seen... person who set up your camera and mic also set up like the aesthetics of the background? No, the background's me. <laughs> that's his house, dude. Yeah, it's my house. Like when I've been thinking about this, all right, I'm like, all right, we need because right now my walls are white and that's white yeah. is not good when you're doing this. You actually want, but I'm having to hire two different people, like a set designer's style yeah. person and then like a technologist. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, I've just, I'm like, man, I would pay like two grand just to have, all, to have this done for me. That and, should be part of the package, right? So have you guys seen, we talked about this a long time ago. Actually, when we very first started the podcast, I go, hey, I saw this ad for this company. And I don't know, I've never heard anyone talk about it, but I think it's a dope idea. And uh, it turned out there was like a super legit entrepreneur, Roger Dickey behind it. He started Gigster and uh, some other things. And so it's called Made Renovation. And what they do is they, it was, they all they do is bathroom renovations direct to consumer through Facebook ads, basically. So what they do is the ad is just a before and after of a bathroom or yeah. just the after, just a sick looking bathroom. And they know that like in the home renovation space, which is this probably a huge multi-billion trillion, maybe make up your number space, Christians and bathrooms are like, I don't know, 75% of it. And uh, so they just started with bathrooms and they basically have three turnkey bathroom styles. It's like, you can have this kind of cool Victorian, this cool modern and this like kind of simple classic. And uh, they have three bathrooms. So all their parts and supplies, it's already like, there's no like planning step. You just say, I want that one, that one or that one. And then they have all these installers who just know how to install this one fucking bathroom type. And they're like, cool, we're dispatching the guy. He's going to go give you this bathroom. Brilliant. And it's a genius idea. I'm sure, I don't know what the price is, but it's, you know, in the thousands of dollars per customer, be 10,000, 15,000. Because the worst part is the contractor, right? You don't want right, to find exactly. the contractor, so, deal with the contractor. Like it's, uh, it's a whole shit show. 
And then the contractors today don't do any marketing, right? So you have, you're going up against a player who's got both hands tied behind their back because they're literally not even out there selling. So I love taking, you know, world-class internet marketing, pairing it with a high ticket, you know, high value thing that everybody, you know, sort of considers at some point in their home ownership and then going after it. So I love this. And I think you could do that idea for what we're talking about in the home office space. I think you could do made renovation for home office now because that's become top of mind for, you know, I don't know how many tens of millions of people. And I think you could do the same playbook for, for that. Totally. And and it's even more, there's even more value add because you're dealing with, with audio video setup and it's not yep. just brick and mortar, right? Like Exactly. Yeah. It's more of a technical thing and less of right. a like, you know, plumbing issue. <laughs> you know, even what on- I'm doing is I stole this from a friend, my friend Noah and Neville did it. They found a YouTuber in Austin and they just said, Hey, can I pay you like 50 bucks an hour and you spend eight hours and just make this really cool and just beforehand buy everything you need, ship it to my house and then just set it up and make the lighting and everything neat. It's pretty sick. And I've been trying to find people who can do that for me. And I don't know if someone's taking me for a ride. I don't know, you know, like I don't know who to trust. It's kind of an interesting idea. You know what I also think, just like the YouTuber thing. So let's say you didn't want to start a business in the crazy way, but you want to be a YouTuber and you see guys like Mr. Beast build their channel on these like kind of stunts and like giveaways and surprises yeah. and, you know, just random acts of kindness and money thrown at people. So you could do the pimp my ride playbook as a YouTube channel. You could be exhibit. You could go knock on someone's door and basically be like, dude, it's your room, your room. We're tricking okay. out and you trick out their room to like, like I should be, you know, my chair should be an aquarium and there's fish floating underneath my butt while I sit here. Like that's what the crazy level. And then I think people would watch these videos and you could build a, huge you know tens of millions of subscriber channel and have all of the like kind of renovations paid for by you know maybe peripheral companies or whoever like some sponsors just like mr beast did where paid him 50 grand per video so that he would go give fifty thousand dollars away and he's like cool you're paying for my growth that's brilliant even on the contractor side it's i mean listen you talk about contractors like there is no way of there's no uber reviews for contractors Right. Like how do you find contractors nowadays? You either know it's all referral based, right? It's all word of mouth. You look around, there's been a lot of businesses that have been word of mouth businesses that have platforms have been created around to be able to facilitate finding a good one. Have you guys heard of Modsy? No, what's no. Modsy? Okay, it's, it's M-O-D-S-Y, Modsy. And what it does is, let me pull it up so I can explain exactly. But I've, used, I've spent two or $3,000 with them because I've done it for all my houses and apartments. So basically, the interesting part is the technology. And so... You take pictures of your house. Every time I've done it, my home was empty. Yeah. But I've done it a couple of times with furniture in there already. But you take pictures of it and like a video and they patch it together to make like a 3D image of what your room looks like. And then you go through a quiz and tell them what furniture interests you and like what styles interest you. And then they have people who are mostly like design students. So like college people who are good enough, but you know, don't make a lot of money. And they have like a massive group of them on staff and they send you like eight or 10 different designs of what your room could look like. And then you say, I like this, I like this, I like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. And then they fix it and then they give you a final one. And then they have a buy now button where you can just buy all the products that they've listed. And it's a virtual designer. It's sick. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like $500 a room. I've probably got eight rooms maybe done over the course of the last four or five years. Um, um, if I'm Crate and Barrel, I'm buying these guys now while they're small. Right. 
It's exactly. really fascinating. I, I've really enjoyed seeing this business kind of take off. It's super interesting, it's but they don't do like audiovisual stuff. I mean, but in many ways, this is a feature, not a business, right? Like I'm surprised they haven't already been scooped up. Yeah, it's uh, you pay $500 a room. And then I think they make a lot of money off the affiliate fees, which is a pretty stupid business right. model because I don't buy any of the stuff they tell me to buy. I just go out and buy stuff that looks exactly <laughs> like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like, because sure. a lot of the stuff they pimp out is like, brands I haven't heard of. And if they list a leather couch, I'm like, I've never heard of this brand. I'm going to go to Restoration Hardware and buy one just so that looks exactly like it. There's an idea that's uh, along the same lines. So I'll talk about it real quick. If you go to intro.co, the guy behind this is, yeah, we're not super close friends, but he's a good guy. I met him before. He had sold one company to Intuit. So he sold like a kind of a bookkeeping software to Intuit, made good money, moved to LA, blah, blah, blah. And now he's starting this thing called Intro. And what Intro is, is like, uh, you know, like these businesses like Clarity FM or whatever, where it's like, Clarity started in the tech space and they were like, hey, you can pay $45 and you could talk to a head of growth at Airbnb to talk about growth. And it's like, right, dude, this is like this nerds feeding nerds. Like, I don't know. It was just not like the coolest way to go about this idea of connecting people who want expertise with experts. And so at the premium end, you guys know about like GLG. Have you guys heard of GLG? Yeah, no. You're going to get, you're going to like this. It's crazy. It's an insane business. Basically, GLG is an expert network that hedge funds and big financial players use. Yeah. So th- let's say I want to decide if I'm going to buy Tesla, right? What I'll do is I'll go to GLG and I'll say, I want to talk to every like world-class battery expert or, or AI expert to talk about is Tesla, is what they're talking about for batteries and self-driving cars? Is this like a reality? How close are they? Are they better than what Waymo is doing and whatever? So you pay like, thousands of dollars i'm a i'm a glg expert sean so like i put on my profile i know a a lot about email marketing and i'll have like i've had morgan stanley call me and this i they they can't tell you what they're doing i have a feeling they were taught there uh it was about sengrid's ipo yeah uh, and they wanted to say like do you use sengrid and uh i was like uh it's okay it's kind of complicated i prefer mailchimp you know and 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 i charge i put like what i thought was a wild number like two thousand dollars an hour and i started getting bids so I went on Clarity. The issue I had with it, it's not curated. Like, how do you really know who's a hack and who's for real? Right. So that's what, so GLG does that a little bit better where they're like premium. So, uh, you know, like because they're charging thousands of dollars, they, they, they can afford to vet people yeah. and like use the reviews to like curate the marketplace a little bit. Although to be fair, I don't know how much they, they really do it, but in theory, because the ticket price is so high, they can afford those ser- additional services. And right. so hedge fund guys need it because they're trying to make big decisions. And then on the low end, nobody's really been able to do it. Uh, the guy who started mint.com, he tried to create something called Fountain, which was like, you need a repair or you want to redo your lawn or your, your bathroom, yeah. like call an expert contractor. And it didn't really work. So this has been tried a bunch. But I think this approach that Intro is doing is somewhat interesting because they chose a better market, I think. And they went for like, they got the stylist of like Justin Bieber and Kim Kardashian's stylist and the person who did the Kardashians like home decor or renovation right? or interior decoration or whatever you call it. And so you can pay, you know, 50 bucks and you could do a, a video, like a FaceTime call with Justin Bieber's stylist and you can ask them about style stuff. Now, right. I don't or know so-and-so is trainer for your workout routine. Or, exactly. Right? Like, I could get the rocks to... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the bragging rights of I talked to the rocks trainer for 30 yeah, minutes. So now I, I too will look like <laughs> yeah, the right. meat head. So I don't think this is going to work necessarily. I think it's a really hard business, but people keep trying this. And eventually somebody is going to crack it. Somebody's going to figure out how to get the dynamics right, pick the right vertical. Like one interesting thing about this business is the astrology vertical started taking off because people were just like, there's all these like celebrity kind of like astrologists on Instagram. And so they're like, they would just promote like, hey, you can book me and I'll do a reading for you. 
And people are like, oh, yeah, I want, you know, you to do a reading, uh, you know, an astrology reading for me. And they're just making tons of money, thousands and thousands of dollars a month because that vertical works. And so you would think it would be the more mainstream, larger verticals like working out, clothing, uh, eating, diet, right? It ends up being astrology. Go figure. I actually no, I, I, I buy that. David, do they have Miss Cleo in Canada? No. <laughs> okay, so there's this woman. I don't know if it went to the 2000s, but it was in the 90s, and she was Jamaican. I don't even know if she actually was that, but she was this character that would play on infomercials, and she had a Jamaican-sounding accent. And okay. she's like, hey, darling, how are you? And she's like, let me read your palm. Like, or right. Call yeah. 1-800. <laughs> it was like tarot cards or psychic reading. Yeah. They had a phone bank in a warehouse full of these types of people who knows what their credentials were. I mean, nothing, right? It's psychic reading. Yeah. Real. But they did. <laughs> the they cups. Did, <laughs> in only a short amount of time, this company did a billion dollars in sales. Wow. So I think that the psychic thing. Yeah, man, people want predictability. But I mean, do you really want to be doing that? You're selling snake oil, right? No, but yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, I think in some ways it gives people this weird peace of mind. Uh, it's like religion, right? Like if you feel like, you know, something about your fate is being told to you and you get either comfort that, you know, everything's going to be all right or, you know, that it is what it is and it's and I don't have to like stress about it anymore. I don't know. There's something that's deeply like there's something that just is deep in this that works for people. I mean, obviously, I agree with you. You know, the person who's on the other end who's just got a call center of, you know, Jamaicans who are fake Miss Cleo's like, you know, there's a question of, do you want to be that person? But there's no doubt that there's demand for this kind of thing, which is, which is wild. You could just reboot Miss Cleo today on Facebook and uh, Facebook is your new infomercial and probably do extremely well. What um, businesses are interesting you right now, David, besides um, the things if that you're directly if you weren't doing involved in? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's never been easier to uncommoditize niche products. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I, I was, it was in Turks and Caicos with, with Harley, actually, and we were lighting fires on the beach, like we would get someone to set this up, like a bonfire, right? And they have this special wood in Turks that, for whatever reason, burns, lights up faster and burns longer than anything I've ever seen. And I'm Canadian. We light a lot of fires. It's freaking cold up here. So we started having this idea, and we started talking about the experience around starting fires, right? And when you start a fire, I don't know if you guys start a lot of fires, but you... you I do. You, yeah, okay. So you tear up newspaper... You put it in the fireplace or you buy these little pucks that you buy on the back out. It's like the back shelf of Walmart or the back shelf of Home Depot. And you got to light them and you're in like usually there's fire ash already there from the last fire you lit. The whole thing kind of sucks. You're down there. You're blowing on the fire. Ash is going everywhere. It's messy. It's not that great. So our idea was to create a, a fire starter, not one of those logs that are full of wax and feel very chemical like the dura logs or whatever, but more something that it helps you get a bed of coals. And it also ideally would have some scent that it gives off. So kind of merging the idea of candle with fire starter. And then of course you could go further, right? It leads to this idea. Well, what about the, like I'm looking here in this room, I'm actually at a fireplace on my left here. What about like the shovel that you get and the little broom thing and the fire poker, right? Like there's a lot of products on the back shelves of Walmart or Home Depot that have been bought haphazardly by some mid-level buyer at the company at a trade show that are complete commodities that you could uncommoditize, create, put a little bit more thought into, create a better experience around, and have these niche million-dollar businesses. And I, I, think, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. That's the first place I would start is I would literally go down to one of these big box stores and walk the aisles and be like, what product do these guys clearly not care about but feel they have to have? there's where I would go direct to consumer and create something a little bit better. So Duraflame, I'm looking it up now. 
crazy fascinating. I believe it was sold to Clorox, but it sells something like five or $600 million a year in these logs. Right. There's been no innovation there since I was a kid. It's the exact same log. It was five years old. They were lighting Dura logs. That's super fascinating. Fire. I do buy a lot of that stuff, but I only buy it in store. I don't ever own it, order it online, but I think I would. I think I'd be open to it. I you mean, do everything fucking online, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, once upon a time, you bought everything in store. Right. It's just uh, a little bit more of an imp- like I need it right now, but I would do it as well. This is it's also of- giftable, right? It's a nice thing like you want to it's cool. Yeah. A great example of your thesis there about differentiating a commodity product. The guy who spoke at HustleCon, Eric Ryan, is that his name, Sam? Yeah. Um, he's basically built his career off this. So his first thing was method soap. So he's like, oh, okay. You know, he's like, you could just walk. He goes, I walk down the aisle in yeah. a grocery store. I, he goes, anywhere I see a, a sea of sameness, like an ocean exactly. of the same thing. And he, he showed a picture of the soap aisle, and it's like 55 green bottles of liquid that are all shaped the same and all look exactly the same. He's like, cool. I'm going to make a new bottle shape. It's going to be a different color. I'm going to market this in a kind of risque way. You know, if you turn the back of these bottles, they all have these chemicals you can't pronounce. So I'm going to make it where it's chemical-free cleaners. And Method became like a big hit. And now he's doing the same thing with Welly, which is Band-Aids. Go down an aisle in a Well, he already did it with vitamins called Ollie, Ollie, and then he did Band-Aids. So Welly is probably the best example of the thing you're talking about. Band-Aids are the most, like, commodity. Who cares? Literally, the thing is meant to blend into your skin color, although nobody is the color of a Band-Aid. But, like, that's the, the idea is for it to be, like, totally a nothing product. And then he tried to put some personality into it and sell it yeah. in a kind of more unique way. And boom, you have another winner. There's still so many of these niche areas that are outstanding where you can put more thought into it. I mean, your competition is some buyer at a big box store who's right. going to the trade show and saying, okay, we need something in this category. We'll take that. And they're buying off the shelf. Walmart's not designing fire starters or fire pokers, right. Or, or right? Like it's not a big enough category for them. But if you have enough of these, I mean, like you just said, Duralog does what, $500 million in sales. Man, I'm looking this up now, and they don't have that many employees. What an interesting company. And you, know, is really uh, you guys want a piece of it? We'll do it together. Let's do no, it. No, what I would do, you know what I would do is I would actually copy. Um, there's this guy named Ricky Van, what's his name? Ricky Van Neen. He started um, College Humor and Vimeo, and he sold that to IAC. And then he went and worked at Facebook, and he was married to Allison Williams. So he's like this like pretty cool dude. And he started this thing called, I forget what it was called, Home homesick candles and they have a different candle flavor for every state so if you're from washington maybe it would be like evergreen flavored and it's really interesting and i would do that but for fire logs and have like state flavored or some yeah i would do something like that or different kinds of wood depending on what area you're living in and yeah yeah, yeah that's no, cool. that's cool, man. We should just open source this idea. So if a hustler from the pod listeners wants to go run with this idea, you could DM me or Sam, you're hustling credentials. Have you done anything before? Are you going to make this shit happen? And then run with this idea and just carve out, you know, 10% for your boys. And, and we're good. Right. We, we, we will we'll back you, you. Yeah, exactly. We'll give you the initial capital to get going if you're legit. It's kind of interesting. That's a pretty cool idea. I'm going to explore that. You know what I was thinking about when I was doing a little bit of research? I did very little research, but just enough on David's tease to get like familiar with it. And I was just looking and it was like, I don't know, you know, there's always these metrics that I don't really fully believe, but directionally they're correct, which is like the T market is a $50 billion market expected to grow to an $80 billion market. It doesn't matter what the number is. That's a big number of how much tea is sold every year. Because 
when they say a number for these, that's the annual sales volume. You know, the market for AI is X, and it's just like a you know like a valuation based thing. Right. Um, these are real dollars being. Spent. These are real dollars that are trading hands. Yeah. And um, we on the last episode we talked about NFTs, which are like these kind of like crypto yeah. trading things, right? I've been looking at like how big is the trading card market and. You know, for a lot of these things, it's like, oh, it's a $2 billion, $3 billion market. You have to know blockchain. You have to get into this market. It's super hard. And then you have tea, that's $50 billion. And you have candles, that's like probably $80 billion or something like that. Like these spaces that are, you know, just commodities that are already adopted and uninnovated. And I think that there's so much, it's so much easier to win there than it is to try to go to the new cutting edge frontier. Against yeah, I mean, you can win really big on the cutting edge frontier. So, so another one, I, two other ideas I really think are bigger ideas now. One is you're talking about NFTs and of course, crypto and all that stuff. I think people don't realize, those people that are talking about and thinking about these big innovations that are happening now and these major disruption to our financial system, to our legal system, our legal profession, there's going to be a lot of people that need education around that. They're going to have a really hard time grasping these things, these concepts, right? And I think there's a big opportunity to, I don't know if you remember those books. Remember the four dummies, dummies books? Yeah. yeah, dummies, exactly. You know, I think there's a, a dummies 2.0 version that someone should really go after to try and explain some of these concepts that are, are hard to grasp. They're not easy. So and I'm actually doing this one. I just brought on a guy, a YouTube animator guy, and I'm doing the first one is Bitcoin for normal people. I'm going to try to create the thing that like a normal person who's heard about it, you might yeah. have even bought some or considered buying some. You've looked into it once or twice and come up with a very unsatisfactory solution where everybody's so technical. It's so complicated. My, my like, dad okay. called me. My dad called me the other day. And like my dad's 75. Like when we FaceTime, he picks up the phone and puts it to his ear and I have to remind him dad it's FaceTime. Like, you know. Right. And so, I mean, this is the least tech savvy person. He called me the other day. He's like, what's Bitcoin? You know, so you're going to have this huge audience of people that as this goes into the mainstream, they're going to want to understand it and they're going to, and they can't, and you have to talk to them in a different language than you would the people that listen to your podcast. I'm trying to make the video that you would forward to your dad in this case. Right. Like, I think this is the best explanation of what you need to know and not anything more and broken down in simple English. And for me, I'm like, there's not, not really a business here. I wouldn't want to do it as a business. I just really want to do it. And I'm like, Okay, if I take some of the earnings I made on Bitcoin, if I just took like half a percent and I said, all right, I'm just going to like, it's a charitable donation of like content creation for people to learn about this stuff in simple terms. It's a good trade. It's been good to me. I can be good back to, and that can be my contribution. It's going to end up being a big business. That's my call. It's usually the ones you're doing because you don't expect them to be a business that end up being a business. You said the two other. We just said one. Yep. What's the, the other? I think there's this big opportunity around discovery. So commerce has been decentralized in a way very quickly. When we were kids, if you wanted to buy a pair of running shoes, you went to the mall and all the running shoes you could possibly buy were in the mall. And now there's so many different amazing shoe brands that how do you find them, right? Like when I Google shoes, I still see Nordstrom's come up and I don't really read past the first page. I don't see Albers, I don't see Swims. You know, there's all these incredible brands out there how do you discover them? I think, you know, at one time, pre-pandemic, I wrote a deck for a pop-up shop mall. The idea that malls of the future would be all these online brands that you, that you would operate. Basically, brick and mortar becomes about discovery, not distribution. It's where you go yep. to learn about cool brands and, and products, and then you replenish and order online. Could you create a mall experience around that? Sean's right? been, like, geeking out over something similar about, like, live commerce. So I have two on that. One is exactly what you said. Have you ever heard of beta? 
David? No. It's it's almost exactly what you're describing. I'm going to send you a link right here. It's cool. B. It's B, and then the letter. No, sorry, the number eight. TA.com. I love beta. And th- they did exactly what you're talking about, which is they, this insight. And I think this insight is spot on. And one insight like this can change, you know, that's a hundred million dollar, $500 million insight, which is oh, that yeah. malls are now going to be for discovery, not distribution. Boom. Exactly. That's the insight. You can build a career off that. You can build a huge business off that. And that's what they're doing, which was, I think COVID kind of fucked everybody who's trying to do brick and mortar, but like they were creating these pop-ups and I, as a D2C brand can just rent it for seven days and I yes. basically send product and I send some education materials or I send one of my own people there, I think. Right, and, and they operate um, it. And they're sampling it, they're operating it, and I got this this footprint. I don't need to go, because all these DTC brands open up freaking, like, showrooms. And it's like, dude, that's such a pain in the ass for, like, it's such an expensive, time-consuming thing for really just trying to do marketing to get your product in front of people. And so this beta, if it works, it's like what AWS did, where they were said, AWS said, hey, you don't need to install servers and buy hardware just rent some off us. And what beta is doing is saying, you don't need to build stores, just rent 10 square feet off us. And exactly. I think that would be a great idea. Yeah, it's a huge problem right now. The cost of advertising gets higher and higher. And how do you find these places? You don't, like, you know, you ask your friends, but you know, what if your friends aren't that cool? By the way, this beta idea, if anybody thinks it's a good idea, you can just keep doing this in every, because you need one in many different geolocations, right? So a college student could create beta on campuses and be like, cool, for any brand that wants to get in front of college students, I have created the network of pop-ups on every major campus and D2C brands pay me $50,000 for an activation, $150,000 for a one-month activation, and we put product on every campus for them to get seen. Are so they running it as a platform where land, like existing property owners can run the program and then get reviewed, or are they running it as they are the operators? I don't know. That's a good question. When they started, they were definitely the operator, but I haven't, and they've been out for a few years right, now. Because what so you're I talking about is interesting. Rather than rolling out, 10,000 of these things where you're running this big staff and this, and right. you're essentially being a landlord that operates stores. Can you outsource the model almost like a franchise to these yes. operators where these, and then these operators get reviewed, right? Like, cause all you want to hold is the most valuable part, which is the relationship with the brands. Totally. One click deploy, you know, every month or, you know, for three months, whenever they do a new product or whatever, you just want to own that relationship right. and offer them a bunch of reach and ideally, you're not paying for or managing the reach, which is what you're talking about. I like what, that. What did you say? You said I wrote out a deck for it? Yeah. Uh, when I left David's Tea, it was the first idea I had. And I made a pitch deck. I, I toyed with the idea a little bit. Because at the time, I mean, you were starting to see the writing on the wall from malls, especially department stores who had all this square footage. I mean, they're dying. Yeah, turn them all into nursing homes, man. Every right. mall should be a nursing home. Yeah, well, that's what's happening effectively. Although some of these real estate companies are going to make a fortune in the next 10 years. You know, there's this one in Canada called Smart Centers. These guys, they have all the Walmart anchored stores. And of course, when the pandemic hit, stock got killed because all the crappy, shitty clothing brands from the 1990s are getting wiped out. But all these guys are doing, they have the best real estate in the suburbs. So they're taking this pad where they had, you know, some crappy JCPenney type brand and they're building a multi-unit residential apartment building or a senior's home, and they're they're getting enormous value out of the land and, and b- even bigger returns. And, and not only that, they're building it at a time with rock-bottom interest rates right before you know, where we're likely to see a lot of inflation. I think these sounds like a lot a of opportunity to repurpose. That sounds like a stock to buy. What stock is that? That's Smart Centers. Uh, it, but, you know, there's tons of these REITs in the States, too. Like, you got to yeah. find the ones that still are going to have a decent anchor. Like, Walmart stores aren't going anywhere, even if e-commerce becomes everything to them 
they still need that last mile. They need the real estate to, to operate their e-commerce. And that, and I don't know if you've been in a Walmart parking lot recently, but they're still full. People are still going to the stores. It's, it's those clothing brands that were hot 10, 20 years ago that are gone. Right. How big, when you were making this deck, how big did you project that it would be? And what did it need to become in order to interest you? Dude, the deck is fiction. You're all course you're going to say. I mean, I, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I know, I, but like <laughs> a deck... I imagine a deck oftentimes is not necessarily what you're making to present to people, but a way to get yourself excited and organize your thoughts. So I saw it centered around clothing. And I saw one of the issues with e-commerce as returns, where you don't know your fit. So I even looked at, like, could I get a fit machine? Like, they have these, they actually have this, these machines that, like, you can scan and give you your body fit and you can keep it on file. So I was like, could I keep a database of everybody's, body shape and be able to recommend brands based off that as well. I didn't really think about how big could this be. To me, it could be enormous. I think this is a monster. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar idea, I believe. That's pretty exciting. That's cool. I well, I mean, think about it. You've shifted everybody. Not, yeah. You didn't do it. So no, I, I, and that you up. I didn't what helped me up. It's it's a big complicated idea. You know, it's a major commitment. Plus, maybe some scar tissue from the first fitting room business. That's <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. Like, I don't really want fit machines. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so I want to ask you a question. You know, with, with Jameson's, you guys did all these different flavors. Like, you would have, like, luscious watermelon or, like, yeah. caramel corn or whatever. And it's like, yeah. cool, you're, you're coming up with a new product to get people excited. Great. I had heard, and tell me if this is bullshit. I'll just half relay what I remember. I had heard there's some agency brand annual report that comes out. And... Sam, you might have been the one to tell me, or Steph Smith from The Hustle, maybe he was the one who mentioned this. So tell me if you remember the name. But they come out with a report every year, and it's like this giant report, and it's just like colors, smells. Like, yeah, WGSM. Yeah. yeah. We, what, we what talk about that? them a so, lot. It's like uh, they do about reports. 90 million in sales and about yeah. like 40 million in profit. So is that? did you guys use something like that? Is that oh, totally. Yeah, and absolutely. Actually, that, funny you mentioned them. I was just griping about them earlier today. I've been trying to get signed up again for my food business and for new tea brand and and like they won't they're not answering the emails all these guys don't want sales so, i guess but so it's wgsn they're owned by a company called essential i believe which is yeah. a publicly traded company in england that own cans like the festival and they own a bunch of trade shows so i don't know if they're like doing that well but the wgsn was like their anchor asset because it just I don't think it, it doesn't really grow, but it just does the same every single year. So how do they do this? And are they right? And is it like surprising the stuff? They yeah, report? they're right. Like they predicted like millennial pink, you know, millennial pink, that word millennial pink. I think they were talking about millennial pink a couple of years before that. So yeah, was I, I mean, sometimes they're, you know, like they're right, they're wrong, right? I mean, sometimes they're way out there on some of the trends. It's just I think a guess. It's just a guess, exactly. And, and sometimes you don't want to be the first. Some ideas, we definitely got inspiration from there. We got inspiration from adjacent industries, from the culinary world, from the fashion world. Absolutely. Yeah, they'll, they'll like tell Starbucks, like, um, this shade red is kind of interesting. So like, maybe make your name tags that during Christmas. Right. Or Moringa is a hot ingredient out of Sri Lanka. You might want to do a blend with it. Is it based on data? Is this, do they just have tastemakers? Yeah. How are they doing this? Both. I think they do have in-house tastemakers, people that their entire job is to go around and, and look at what's new, what's hot, what's cool. You know, they're trying to find the next coconut water, right? And it's expensive. It might cost 25 or 35K a year. Yeah, it depends how big you are. 
Uh, they scale it up depending on the size of your company. It's a pretty interesting business and it's publicly traded so you can go in and look at it. Really fascinating because David, I own this company, or, uh, we just sold it, but this thing called Trends and I modeled it after a little bit after that company. Of course, we only charge $300 a year and in order to make a lot of money, we should have charged $30,000 a year. But you, it's you quite could have just charged three thousand dollars. You could have bought their report for thirty, distilled it down, and offered That's it right. for free. Charge three. There's no I like IP your model better, Sam. I'm going to sign up after this for three hundred bucks. <laughs> that, that that sounds like a way better value proposition. Well, that's <laughs> all we we except ours isn't like niche specific. We look at like all types of interesting. It's, it's basically like this podcast, but way more thought out. And like we have a team of researchers who like comb through all the data, and then we have a community where it's a pretty sick community where people discuss it. And it was heavily awesome. inspired by WGSN. And that yeah. it's a big business, WGSN. Absolutely. I mean, most people in the product business use WGSN. All the fashion guys use it. Most of the food guys. Awesome. Well, we hit the hour, David. We said that we were going to do 20 minutes. So I appreciate you staying with us. It's sort of our like first date thing. We're like, oh, I got to meet a friend in 30. In case, <laughs> in case the guest sucks, we can we have the excuse to wrap it up. But you were awesome. Oh, so dude, this was a ton of fun. I really appreciate you guys having me. I, I really enjoyed it. What's your... Um contact or your uh, social presence you how should it? people get more uh instagram at david siegel t the letter t and on twitter it is you uh, don't even know your twitter handle. never never you know this is this is the biggest thing that i should have done underscore david siegel s-e-g-a-l at underscore david siegel and i'll start posting a lot more content as more followers come in <laughs> did you uh all right i'm on it now yeah yeah, my friend, you change your profile picture too. I think you're better looking than this pic profile picture. I think right. like right now, the way you look right now, you look like a cool guy. <laughs> I think you could show that off better. Take a screenshot. Lose, I got to lose the collar, eh? It's a little too serious. No, like you and Harley kind of have similar vibes where you like, you give off this serious- Still uh, fun and playful. Yeah, like you're going <laughs> to kick ass, but you're like fun to be around. For, uh, uh, listen, I mean, it's it's amazing to kick ass and to try and just get better and better and, be, and try and become world class. But, you know, you got to have fun. You only live once. Yeah. So anyway, just some feedback. I was Thanks, man. No, was I, I, I think it's good feedback. I'm, I'll take a shot. Actually, I'll take this shot from this podcast. It seems that was a classic, me. like left-handed uh, yeah. Sam Parr compliment, which um, I appreciate <laughs> you a lot. I'm telling you, you look better looking than your picture. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right, thanks, man. Thanks, man. Take care, guys. Bye.